0: All right. We are going to be talking about boldness tonight. <clears throat> and I want to open with Acts 4:11. If you have that say amen. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Brother Stacy, would you pray for this service, please? God, you are good. You are holy, Lord. We thank you, mighty God. We thank you, mighty God. Lord, you are good. In Jesus' name, you may be seated. The definition of boldness comes up with stuff like confidence, fearless, willing to take risks, courage, strong, vivid, or clear. Just some of those those words just really put that true definition of boldness as one word. So Peter and John... We're going into the temple at the hour of prayer when they came across a lame man who sought them for alms. This is in Acts 3 and 2. This man, we're told, is in his 40s and he has never walked. And as Peter approaches the man, he tells him, You know, silver and gold have I none but what I have. Brother Walter, I think you just spoke on this the other night. I will give unto you. Okay? So now in verse 7, Peter heals this man, and a crowd gathers, and Peter begins to speak. And he begins to say things, like in 3 and 12, Peter starts asking the crowd, Why does this surprise you? Does this man being healed surprise you? Do you think that we healed this man on our own, on our own power? And then 13 through 15, Peter uh, excuse me, Peter says, "Do you remember the Son of God, the prince of life, the Christ whom you put on the cross?" Verse 16, Peter says, "In his name, through faith, this man was healed." Amen. Moving down 17 through 26, Peter starts preaching. He starts saying, you and, and the rulers, you know, you were ignorant when you made these decisions to, to put Christ on the cross. But then he kind of gets to that point. But let me, let me tell you how you can be saved, amen? Now, Peter and John and the lame man, they are... They're taken and they're held. And the next day they're brought before the religious council of Jerusalem. And in 4 and 7 they ask Peter, by what name or power have you done this miracle? I mean, I would probably be curious too. If you didn't know like how this man that we've seen day in and day out, what power, what name did you heal this man and in 4 8 through 10 says, Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to this impotent man, by what means he is made whole, be it known unto you, all the people of Israel, by the name of Jesus Christ was this man made whole. Hallelujah. Give me that boldness of Peter. This man, this man on his way to jail says, you know what? I could really care less. I'm given an opportunity to tell these people what, how this miracle had taken place and I don't care the outcome of me after, after this point. I'm going to tell somebody about Jesus. Hallelujah. If God has done something for you, we cannot keep it to ourselves. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And in 4 and 12, there is salvation in no other name. Hallelujah. No other name given to us but Jesus Christ. That means you can't be saved by being nice. You can't be saved by following the law. You can't be saved by being a good person, by Buddha, by Muhammad. It does not matter. The only way you can be saved and enter into the gates of heaven is through Jesus Christ, Acts 2.38, complete immersion with baptism in the infilling of the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. God, you are good. It doesn't matter if people agree with this, if they say they feel like you are forcing your religion on them, I've come too far, you've come too far, she has come too far to let any of those voices convince me of other. Hallelujah. Jesus said, straight is the gate, narrow is the way that leads us to eternal life, and few will be there that find it, Matthew 7, 14. And I am determined to find it. Hallelujah. So Peter has their attention, okay? 4 and 13 through 16. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. Okay, they said, you know what? These guys, they're standing for something. They believe in something, and, and they've been with Jesus. They saw that boldness. Hallelujah. And beholding the man which is healed standing by them, they could say nothing against it. <laughs> but when they commanded them to go outside, now they want to talk amongst themselves. Verse 16, towards the end of that, They say, obviously, a miracle has been done today. There's no doubt about that. And I love those last four words. We cannot deny it. Brother and sister, when you have Jesus living inside you, you can step out in a whole new boldness that will be not denied by this world. You cannot hide it. You cannot keep it to yourself. People are going to know that you are different Amen. Hallelujah. It takes them seeing a real miracle to open their eyes. When Peter declares that the man was healed in the name of Jesus, this next verse just hits me. 4 and 11, what we opened with. If you could put that back up. This stone, which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head cornerstone. This is the stone, the same stone in builders talked about in Matthew 21, 42 through 44. The same stone which the builders rejected has become the head of the corner. This is the same stone in Ephesians 2 and 20 says Jesus Christ himself, brother Tostin, is the chief cornerstone. Hallelujah. In first century A.D., the expression chief cornerstone was used to describe the stone placed on the summit, on the top of Jerusalem temple. You think that's a coincidence? It was on top. It was the last piece. Amen. And it was above all others. Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I want to tell somebody, God is the answer. People that are living in this real world are looking for something real. They don't need to be fed this this fluff that everything is going to be all right. Because I don't know about you, but when I read my Bible, there are certain things that I need to do, and if that doesn't happen, everything is not going to be all right. Amen? God, you are good. There could be somebody behind that next door, Brother Stacy, that could have their life absolutely changed forever. I pray that we could just get blessed with that boldness that cannot be denied. Amen. Acts 28 and 31 says we should preach the things of God with all confidence. That mindset That I will make time for you. I will do a Bible study with you. I will pick you up for church. I want to preach it with all confidence. Peter and John could have just walked by. But not only would this man still be lame, but this amazing miracle would not have been portrayed for others to see. And so many other people may have died lost had they just walked by and gone on with their day. I'm busy. You're busy. We're all busy. But are we really too busy to take a few moments to tell somebody about God? Hallelujah. How many lame men and women do we come across every day that are looking to just find a way out? Something to just break the chains that have been holding them down for so long. Something that just finally feels real. Amen. You don't have to have silver or gold. This gift that we have been given, Brother Joe, is so much more valuable than what we could offer with our money. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Just like it says in verse 13, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, why can't it be when they saw the boldness of Blake and Marcos? Why can't it be when they saw the boldness of Kyle and Gabe, of Jimmy and Trace, of Madison and Haley, of Stacy and Clint? It can be if we will just use what God has given us and step out, get out of our box like Pastor Herring tells us, and tell somebody about what God has done for you. I believe having boldness is putting your prayer and your faith into action and making something happen. Hallelujah. So step out with confidence. God has given you everything that you need right here. Everything you need to know, everything that you need to say to somebody, has been laid out for us in the Word of God, if we can just grab that boldness and use it. Amen.
1: Well, praise the Lord. You know, uh, Brother Dave, that was a good word. I remember being, I think I was maybe five years old. I was over at your mom's house, and uh, I had walked in. I remember being so small and just looking up at you. I think you couldn't have been more than four foot five. We were both so young, and I just, I remember thinking, man, I hope I'm that tall one day. (laughs) I remember just looking up to you and thinking, that guy is so cool. And after that sermon, I really appreciate it because I realize today I'm still looking up to you, brother. That was amazing. I appreciate that. <laughs> All righty. I'm not going to take too much of your time. I've got to just a quick little thing to say. I'm going to start in Nehemiah 4, 11, 12, 13, and 14. I'm reading in the CEV. I forgot to tell you that, Sister Playle. I apologize. Um, but here we go. So Nehemiah 4, verse 11 says, Our enemies were saying before the Jews know what happened We will sneak up and kill them and put an end to their work. On at least 10, verse 12, on at least 10 different occasions, the Jews living near our enemies warned us against attacks from every side. And so I sent people to guard the wall at its lowest places and where there were still holes in it. I placed them according to families, and they stood guard with swords and spears and with bows and arrows. Then I looked things over and told the leaders, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of your enemies. The Lord is great and fearsome, so think of him and fight for your relatives and children, your wives and your homes." I just want to give maybe five, ten minutes on something worth fighting for. Um, In February of 1945, on a beach, Joe Rosenthal pulled out his camera, clicked a photo that would later become the most reproduced photograph in the history of photography. Five young marines planting the American flag on the island of Jima. I'm sorry if I'm pronouncing that wrong. Uh, the photos of these young men raising the flag was splashed across the front page of every paper in the country. For months, papers republished the photo, newspapers were saved, posters were purchased, the photo appeared everywhere. People could not get enough of it. In today's vernacular, the photo went viral. Uh, what was so special about that photo There was a war going on, people knew people were fighting for it, but there was something different about this. Because the photo showed determination, grit, the patriotism of those few men hoisting a flag in the face of imminent danger. They were there because a country had deemed that they were their country, them as a country had deemed that there were things worth fighting for. Nehemiah told the people that there were things worth fighting for. The first thing he said was, remember the Lord, fight for the Lord. They were in a pagan culture that wanted nothing to do with their God, their temple, or their city. Sounds a little familiar, doesn't it? Their faith was under attack. Here in the beginning of the fourth chapter, the leader of the opposition uh, essentially says, what does this bunch of poor, feeble Jews think they're doing? Do they think they can build a wall in a single day just by offering a few sacrifices? Essentially, they were saying their faith is nothing. We live in a world that's not too far off from saying that their faith is nothing. We're outdated, right? What are we still fighting for? The percentage goes down and down every year, right? Or at least that's what we're being told. Nehemiah told them that they must remember who and what they are fighting for. Remember the Lord, he said. He is what we fight for. Our very existence as God's people, God is still worth fighting for today. Amen? We as a people, as a group, as Christians are under attack from the world around us. The devil would like you to believe that we are the minority that none of what we do is really going to matter because eventually we'll just be phased out that's not true today not as long as we continue to fight the jews who lived near the enemy came and told us again and again they will come from all directions and attack us the same thing is going on today we're attack. we're in attack from every direction we could think of our leaders have changed the concept of freedom we were founded on the concept of freedom of religion. Now it seems we are founded on the concept of freedom from religion. We have become the enemy and not the allies. This is one of the things that our men and women have died for since the beginning of our country, our religious freedoms. It seems that all other religions are tolerated in our world today. and Christianity, the worship of the one true God, the worship of Jesus is frowned upon and even attacked I don't know all the answers to these issues, I don't pretend to, I'm not a politician, I'm not on the forefront of figuring out how to get everybody to get along, but I do know that my complacency never solves the problem. I understand that it's not popular. Personally, I have been ridiculed, laughed at, mocked and called all sorts of names because I refuse to back down from my beliefs. And I'm not saying that to boast myself up. I'm just telling you the reality of the situation that many of you already know. Because of popular opinion, I've been called things like Bible thumper and brainwashed because I stand for something that they don't agree with anymore. It's time to stand up for what I believe in. It's time to stand up for things like holiness, whether it's So holiness isn't just up to what she might be wearing, it's up to a man that sees that and says, well, if she didn't wear that, I wouldn't have looked. Get a hold of yourself, get a little bit of guts to say, I'm not looking that way, I believe in a God who cares where my eyes go. It's a two-way street, amen? Or the sanctity of marriage. There's several things in our society that is broken about this, but one of them is divorce and divorce statistics. It shouldn't be a free ticket out of a relationship. A marriage should be worked on, because it's not supposed to be easy. And I believe that there are 100% circumstances where it has become necessary in people's lives, but I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the massive percentage of failed marriages that just turned into people giving up, that decided that it was time to move on because marriage became disposable in our society. And I know it's a hot-button issue at the moment, but it's okay. It still is okay. It's not against the law to be against homosexuality. You see... The media wants you to believe that it is. It's a hate crime to be against this, but that's not true at all. It's still illegal to hurt those people, duh. But it's not against the law to believe what you believe. To say, I'm sorry, but the way I see it, God intended marriage one way. In the very beginning, it was Adam, Eve, their children. It wasn't an accident that he made it this way. And he said it was an abomination to taint that with anything. So why on earth would I back down from my belief? If I actually believe this, if I'm truly to call myself a Christian, I refuse to compromise on that. And I could stand up here for so many hours talking about all the different things that society likes to poison us with to say, eh. You can scrub that part out of the Bible. That's probably not what he meant anyway. That was for a different time, but that's not standing for anything. That's just conforming to the world, which we're specifically warned against many times. And it was awkward. It's always awkward when people that aren't part of the faith are being approached like this. When they're trying to talk to you and you believe in a way that for some reason offends them. And it was awkward. It was awkward when my friend tried to you, get me to get high with him. It was a constant thing over and over again. And I said, no, I'm convicted about that because my God calls me to be sober-minded. But he knows, he knows I don't hate him for not believing in the way that he believes. But I will not compromise my beliefs for a fun time with my friend. I'm not going to go out and get high because my friend says, no, 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 don't worry. There's nothing wrong with it. When I fully believe that when he said be sober-minded, he meant be sober-minded. I don't think there's a gray line there. I don't think that you can accept some and just go away with the rest. I think there is one true God. I think there is doctrine that's important. And it's not less important because it's 2019. It's ever so much more important day by day. And I don't want to see it slip through our fingers. Amen. Once again, we could just stand up here talking about all the problems. We could stand up here talking about the many, many things that are wrong, but that's not what this is about. And standing up for what you believe in we're not special. It's not like we're standing up here and we're the only ones that are right because it says Pentecostal out there on the billboard. But it does say that, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and that's what we're standing for. It's not about the title. It's not about the religion. It's about the Bible and the God that we serve, the set of rules that were given to us, not because we need to be bound, but because we need to be freed. The Bible says that the law of the, in the law of the Lord there's liberty, there's freedom, and the people that are freed are free indeed. Why on earth would I give that up for a good time? If you if you compromise in a world full of compromise, that's all you are. You're just part of the world. You're nothing at the end. And you'll lose friends. You will. If you really get into this, you're going to lose friends. I have. You'll lose respect of coworkers. I have. Not all. Absolutely not all. I've gained respect from some. I've gained friends through it. But there are some friends that you really just don't need to hold on to. Amen? There are some things in this world... That are still worth fighting for every last line in that book every last word precept upon precept is worth fighting for I will not back down because it's unpopular I will not back down because the world says that I'm backwards I refuse to let anything in this book go if it says it it means it amen if God said it that settles it As pastor always says some things are worth fighting for amen
2: Amen. Praise the Lord, everybody. You know, we sang a song a little bit earlier, and I just want to say it as if I'm preaching it. And if you believe it, please give the Lord a hand clap of praise. But praise the Lord, because He endures forever. Praise the Lord, because He endures forever. He is doing great things. He is doing great things. I just, I just believe tonight, if that is true, and if we believe that, there is a reason to give him praise, there is a reason to make a joyful noise. Just very shortly, I want to talk about passing it on, and that might may be the word, that might be something he's done specifically for you, and that might be just the, the, the attributes of the Lord, who he is, amen? I'm going to start in Psalms verse uh, chapter 78, read verse uh, 1 through 4. <clears throat> Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old. That does not mean that he's a fan of Halloween-themed things or things that are of dark. This just meant that they were hidden. I'm going to tell you something you don't know, okay? Which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from our children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he hath done. I'm going to talk about three main things that passing it on can do. Number one, it can save the next generation. Let's read on verses 5 through 7. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children, that they might set their hope in God. Wait a second, that I might set, that they might set their hope in God? That means this is important. It is very important to talk to the next generation about the mighty things that God has done. That they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments. If I forget the works of God, if I forget the mighty things He has done, it becomes easier and easier with every generation to slip away from His commandments. That's just a biblical fact. That they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments. You know, we need to put the word and everything that God has done into the next generation. We know that, right? Now, the Bible talks that there, says that there are fishers of men, and and I, I just had this thought, Sister Tina, when you were talking about fighting for your kids, praying for your kids, it's so important, and it is effectual because who here, who, of the kids that are in the audience, who has a pet fish? Junior, if you were to take that fish and throw it in the ocean, would you have no worry, no care because there's fishermen out there? No, you'd be, you'd, there's no, I mean, the odds of that fish just being caught by a, a random hook coming by or the nets being thrown, don't say that your prayers Aren't effectual? Don't say that there isn't a reason to pray for your kids. Don't say that there isn't a reason to talk about the good things that God has done. There is a help there because there's a mother, a grandmother, someone in in your life that's been praying for you. A difference has been made because of that. There is an important thing happening there. Let's go to Joshua four twenty one through twenty four, please. And he spake unto the children of Israel, saying, When your children shall ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What mean these stones? Talking about the stones that were erected after the people of Israel crossed over the river Jordan. Then ye shall let your children know, saying, Israel came over this Jordan on dry land. They could have talked to anybody, but they made sure to stop and make sure the next generation, the children, knew what was going on. It is very important for us to not say, be quiet now, just sit in that seat, just church will be over soon. No, no, no. Do you know what's going on here? Do you understand that there's there's power coming down from on high? And it is for you as well as it is for me. Amen. I mean, we, we just saw someone memorize the, the Bible verse we're all reading and I don't have it memorized yet. Maybe I should. But that's impressive. That, that, that inspired me. That is awesome. What goes on over this pulpit, what goes on in this building, is not just, the, the, just for people that have reached a certain age or they're over the age limit. It is for every single person that comes in these doors. Amen? Red, yellow, black, and white, young, old, Pretty, ugly, tall, short, it, it, it doesn't matter. It is for everyone. Amen? Verse 23, for the Lord your God dried up the waters of Jordan from before you until we were passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up from before us until we were gone over, that all the people of the earth might know the hand of the Lord. Now, wait a second. I thought we were just talking to our kids. How? That all the people of the earth might know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty that ye might fear the Lord your God forever. This is the reverent fear. I'm going to be have reverence for my God. And the whole earth has a chance because I took time for the little ones. It is important to share your personal Mementos, the things God has done for you and your family with the next generation. Number two, to grow the body. Can everyone say outreach? Outreach. Brother Stacy, I know you have a burden like I've never seen in anyone for outreach. And it inspires me every time I see you. And outreach, and you'll be the first to say outreach that we have in this church is Saturday, but it is more than that. It goes beyond that, right? So just to set the scene, we're going to go to Joshua chapter 2 here. There were two spies sent to Jericho. Most of us are familiar with that, with the the setting of the book of the, the walls of Jericho falling down. And when they talked to Rahab the harlot, she said, For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you. When you came out of Egypt and what you did unto the two kings of the Amorites that were on the other side of Jordan, Sihon and Og, I hope I pronounced that correctly, whom ye utterly destroyed. How, how did she know that? There wasn't a, a Bible. Like we, we, They couldn't just go down to Barnes and Noble and, and pick up a Bible and, and read these things. This, is, this was done because people were passing it on. This was done by... By word of mouth, stories and, and rumors and, and and people saying, have you heard about this? Have you heard about what God did? It, I mean, even the enemies, the enemies of the people of God knew about God because someone was passing it on. Now, what they knew was here in my next verse, Numbers 24.8. God brought him forth out of Egypt. He hath, as it were, the strength of a unicorn. He shall eat up the nations, his enemies, and shall break their bones and pierce them through with arrows. Just, I'm going to hold there for a second. Do you know one thing that I hate? That is a cheapening or watering down of Scripture. If we were to look at this Scripture... And, and look at that word unicorn and, and let Hollywood tell us what that means. That's not very powerful, is it? This puny little thing prancing around, rainbows coming out of its hooves. I, I mean, I don't know. What a, that's not very powerful, is it? No, it's not. Now, many translations now, they say wild ox, which is very close. Um, there is a scholarly push towards... Um, another animal, and here's why. Because it is a type of wild ox, and it matches the description in, found in the book of Job. Let's just look at that real quick, where God uh, facetiously says, could you, can we go there real quick, Job? Thank you. Will the unicorn be willing to serve thee or abide by thy crib? Meaning, are you ever going to be, you're not going to be able to tame that thing. Canst thou bind the unicorn with the band in, thy, in the furrow, or will he harrow the valleys after thee, or will he plow the field for you? Yeah, right. Here's what, there was, um, this isn't cryptozoology, by the way, this is an animal that existed, and, and the last one was known in 1627, called the Aurochs, um, and Julius, uh, well, I'm getting ahead of myself, It was extinct since 1627. Um, They were huge bovine creatures. Uh, Julius Caesar described them as this. A little below the elephant in size and of the appearance, color, and shape of a bull. Their strength and speed are extraordinary. Their their strength and speed are extraordinary. Hope you see where I'm going with this. They spare neither man nor wild beast, which they have laid their eyes on. Not even when taken very young can they be rendered familiar to men and tamed. Now let's go back to Numbers 24.8. God brought them forth out of Egypt. He hath, as it were, the strength of an animal that cannot be tamed by man. If he gets his sights on that enemy, there is nothing that can hold it back. There is nothing that can hold him back from breaking the bones of your enemy, driving them to dust, and piercing them through with his arrows. Has a little bit more power, doesn't it? And that is what they knew because word of mouth. Even to your, to you who you think is your enemy at work, the one, that, the one that's always a thorn in your side, you know it is still important to tell them what God has done for you. Amen. Let's see. Number three, it strengthens the body. Let's go, let's skip to Proverbs 27, 17, please, sis. Iron sharpeneth iron. Where have I heard that scripture before? So a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. Bro, we were just talking about this the other night. Just, it's amazing how you can be studying for something, or you see something in the word, or, or God so, does something in your life, and you talk to a brother in the church, and you just get fired up about it. Like, oh, yeah, I need it. Oh, yeah, what about this verse? And 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 you go, Oh yeah, I think, oh yeah, I gotta remember when I get home or write this down, and oh I need to look into that, and and you just you you get you you sharpen the countenance of your friend. I mean, there's no better way to put it than how the scripture did, amen. And I, I just I love that, and that is important. That's not just a phenomenon that happens. That is something that God wants put in motion, He wants that happening in His body, in the church body, amen. It's more than just filling seats when we're doing outreach, right? When we get them here, it's not, just, it's not just about the numbers. We rejoice because we know around here it's more than just the numbers, right? We, we know that, that once they get here, there's going to be some, some strengthening that goes on. There's going to be some growth that happens. There's going to be some change for the better because we know that there's going to be, a, there's gonna be a, a meeting place that happens right? Between creator and creation. I am totally not going by my notes. That's awesome. So, Much like how personalities form in children as they grow up, they see people, see people they look up to and they say, wow, this person's good at that. I want to be good at that. What, what makes them good at that? Or I like being around this person. Why, why is it that I like being around that person? Or how about this? I like the way that person preaches. Why do I like that? Is it because it's effective? Is it because they, they, they look like they, they're, they're just on fire or they have something inside that they're struggling to get out because they're not that eloquent? I mean, we take things from each other as we grow. We don't lose ourselves, but we let the best part of ourselves and each other come through when we let each other sharpen like iron sharpens iron. Now, we all have our bad days and struggles. Romans 12, 15 says, can we put that up, please? Said we rejoice with them that do rejoice, and we weep with them we weep you know, that weep, we're not talking about being fake. But it is very important to be putting your best foot forward when you know someone's looking up to you. Amen? So, it's important to practice that positive outlook. Uh, this, This isn't what my lesson's on, but one of my favorite verses is, the joy of the Lord is my strength. If I don't exhibit that joy, I don't have access to that strength. Amen? And that's why... Real quick, I just want to go through a few verses here, uh, Romans 14:19. "Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and things wherewith one may edify another." Uh, moving on, First Thessalonians 5:11. "Wherefore comfort yourselves together and edify one another even as also ye do. And it's important to be friendly. I'm not always friendly. I do have my bad days, but when I get around someone who is being friendly, it's a lot easier to shake that off. Amen? You know it's up to me to shake that off. And it's a lot easier when I have the help of of another brother. Like Brother Playle. I see him smiling. You know, I come in the doors and I get greeted by a handshake. That makes it a lot easier to shake that off. So, just to sum all that up, Sometimes when we're talking to someone who's not in church and let's say we're outreaching and and you know it's quite possible they don't believe in the Bible. Sometimes spewing scripture at them isn't the best first step. Right? That's where we want to lead them to. Sometimes, have you heard about my God? Listen to what God has done for me. He's healed my body. He's touched my mind. He saved me just in time. He, he, he made a way when there is no way. Let me tell you about how He healed my children. Let me tell you about how He clutched me from the, from the, from the enemy. And do you know what? We have this Bible full of His Word. Let's look into it together. Sometimes the first the best first step is just passing it on what has god done for you lately and i just want to close with luke 8:39 and this is after this is um, the the man known as legion after he was being healed this is what What he did, he was told to do, return to thine own house and show how great things God hath done unto thee. And he went his way and published throughout the whole city how great things Jesus had done to him. If we truly were thankful and we truly believed that the blessings that came to pass in our lives were from God and were worthy of praise, I don't think we'd be able to hold it back. It's Jeremiah 29 says that I I decided to stop talking about the Lord. And it was just like a fire shut up in my bones. I mean, it's going to be pretty hard to stand still if I had a fire in my bones. Amen? I got to let that out. Let's do that. Amen? Praise
3: the Lord. It off, <laughs> praise God. These gentlemen were preaching. I just couldn't help because today I was thinking about 12 leaders being sent to the promised land, Brother Stacy. 12 leaders they picked the cream of the crop, said, We need you to go and go spy out the promised land. That God has promised you. Numbers 13. And and in the midst of that. They 12 go. They all see the very same things. They all probably reached down. And grabbed one of those big giant grapes. That when you cut a cluster. It took two to carry it. They saw that. Just the abundance of blessings. And yet when they came back. To give their report. They all said, We saw this. But there was a Joshua and a Caleb with boldness. There was a Joshua and a David, or a Joshua and a Caleb. There's something worth fighting for here. There's a Joshua and a Caleb that says, We're going to pass this thing on, we're not going to pass it by. We're not going to pass it up. (laughs) Let's go get it. It's ours. Stand if you would tonight. What good preaching, good word. I, I don't, we're not overly late, but I just want to give you the opportunity, everybody the opportunity. You know these altars are always open you want to come pray tonight, come pray. If you just want to sit at your seat, you're more than welcome. But I I believe that the word tonight needs to be responded with some prayer. Somebody come pray.